Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles, and uh, normally from the Big Apple in New York City, but my guest host, Adrian Gruberg, is missing in action. I think she's been going through a, a move, and uh, you know, moves are very unpredictable. Anyway, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I am Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver, coming to you live at caregiverdave.com, along with my Lovely co-host, typically, but not today. <laughs> also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio. Oh, and too many more to mention. In fact, we're proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number two caregiver podcast on Feedspot, as well as number two on CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. William Peters, MFT, is the founder of the Shared Crossing Project, whose mission is to positively transform relationships to death and dying through education and raising awareness about shared crossings and their healing benefits. And a lot of you may not know what a shared crossing is, but we'll find that out. So, but before we get started, I want to thank my last week's guest, the plus side of older dogs, how an older dog is a win-win situation. And we thank Marion Zola, who has uh, written an amazing book about how you should always adopt <laughs> rescue animals and not buy them from breeders. And just a reminder, you can listen or watch that show and all our shows, including this one here, on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of our other 26 global audio video net platforms that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, William. Welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. I must make sure and enunciate all of my words. <laughs> We're so excited to have you on. Thank you, Dave. Good to be here. And I always like to ask my guests, if you've been listening to the show, you know what that question is, right? I remember. You got to remind me one more time. Who, but is, I... who is William Peters and why was he placed on this earth? Yeah, so that, that, that is a question that I could probably take a few days to answer, um, but I'll boil it down to this. You know, I had a shared death experience when I was 17, excuse me, a near-death experience when I was 17 years old. Really? And it was a high-speed skiing accident. Oh, my gosh. And in that, in that experience, I was catapulted out of my body upon contact, uh, you know, with the snow at high speed. And as I was going away from my body in a very beautiful uh, realm of existence, uh, seeing my life pass before me, came into this tunnel, and it was beautiful, awe-inspiring, and I saw the light, and I, I saw that light. I mean, it's just a classic near-death experience, as you know, but I had this response which is totally uncharacteristic. And that is, I don't want to die. And I was, I say, God, don't let me die. Most near-death experiencers will say, oh, this is great. I'm good. This is like the best I've ever felt. My response was, God, I need to go back. I did not 
achieve or accomplish what I came into this life to do. And with that, after some time hanging out in the light and feeling great, I felt this pushback on my body and it, and I, and in the telepathic communication, make something of your life. Well, that, that question or that kind of command stayed with me for, I think mostly unconsciously driving me like, is my life meaningful? I've been given a second chance. What does this mean? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until uh, about 13 years ago, after a lot of experiences with more death and dying, worked in Zen Hospice and Zen Hospice Project in San Francisco, worked in two war zones with a lot of refugees and starvation and famine in Peru and Guatemala in the 80s. So a lot of experience with adversity and pain and suffering that Raymond Moody was talking about this experience where somebody dies and a caregiver or loved one says that they feel like they shared in the transition with the dying into a benevolent afterlife. So for now, all I've of never you- heard of that before. I've heard of the near-death experiences. You're the first person who has uh, explained this or I've listened to it. Uh, where they're saying someone else shares it, and you're calling that a shared death experience. Uh, yes. So why did you explain what that is? Because since they already have a name for it, SDE. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's imagine being at the bedside, or you can be remote, but somebody's dying. So and- you're on the ski slope, and somebody is home uh, 100 miles away, and they're having a, an experience with you. Exactly. Except (laughs) the example, my example doesn't work really well because I didn't die. You kind of have to, if I had died in that experience and my mother was sitting, you know, in, you know, her home and saying, oh my God, I feel like I'm with William having, seeing his life reviewed, going into the light, seeing his conversation with God, if you will, then she would have had a shared death experience with me. You know what? Now that you mentioned that, I'm reminded not only on television and in movies, but in real life experiences where someone is dying remotely and that loved one knows it. It's, oh my God, I got to pray for Peter or whoever, or, or let me get on the phone. You know, yeah. is that what's going on? That, that is a remote uh, SDE. And that would be a particular type where you have a, what we call a sympathetic or sensory experience that lets you know that someone you care about is dying. And those are common. And the problem is we don't really talk about them in our culture very much. And so when you say, I didn't really, you know, you're a caregiver, you help people. And I have so many people that you are in contact with around death and dying. And yet you haven't heard about it as much. And, you know, this is what we found in our research you know, interviewed now well over a couple hundred people just in research. I, as in my clinical practice, I have people calling me, coming to me for now well over a decade because they want to share this experience that they've never shared with anyone else before because, but they're afraid to share it because they feel they're going to be labeled as crazy or, yeah. you know, a, a grief hallucination. <laughs> and so they don't want to take that risk of tainting this beautiful experience of essentially going into the afterlife with their loved one. They don't want to, they don't want to mess with it. And remind me what kind of doctor you are. I'm a psychotherapist, marriage and family therapist. A psychotherapist, marriage and family. Okay. Yeah. So it, it, you're not unfamiliar with this realm of delving into the mind. 
and and discovering what's going on. Uh, is it real? Is it not real? Yeah. Uh, is there something really there? And you've come to the conclusion that there is. Well, I've definitely come to the conclusion that there is, but I should also say that when I worked in like Zen Hospice Project in San Francisco, which was an open ward, 24-bed hospice for the indigent of San Francisco. So you can imagine all sorts of people coming, like homeless people, people you know, with problems, unable, not, not, not having family to care for them. So they would essentially come to our hospice and wait to die. Well, this meant death and dying was happening all the time, all around us, which means I was at, as my colleagues in the hospice project, at the bedside of people dying. And I'll share one experience with you here, Dave, where I'm reading to Ron, uh, as I was reading to him every afternoon from the same book. I still remember the book, uh, Jack London's Call of the Wild. And he is prone on his bed, unresponsive. And as I'm reading to it, all of a sudden I pop out of my body. And I look at my body from above. I can actually see me holding the book and reading the words. So it's kind of like I'm in a parallel universe. Ron is, of course, you know, unresponsive in his bed. But there is Ron right next to me, smiling, big face. I can still see it. And he says to me, check this out. This is where I have been. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So what Ron is now out of his body, and I am sharing this out-of-body experience with him. And as I've learned now, these experiences happen. And then, and then in this case, he wasn't quite ready to leave. But in most cases, it's a dying and death process imminent or just at that time. So that's one of, that's a real basic experience that I had because most of the shared death experiences are really sharing in the journey. And that's the dominant motif is that yeah. you actually share in the journey with the dying to yeah. a benevolent afterlife. Before I became a Christian, I was involved in, in occultic type of things, you know, astral projection and yeah. numerology, uh, mind probe, uh, silver mind control, things like that. And I saw some pretty weird stuff. And uh, we used to travel in our minds. We used to go through the colors of the rainbow and we would get to white, which was an alpha state uh, in our minds, a very high a series of waves. And that is when we would imagine leaving our bodies and traveling the universe and whatever we would imagine we were told became real. Yeah. I don't know, you know, I don't know where to, what category to put all that in. All I know is I experienced it and it was, it seemed real and it's very interesting. I don't know as a Christian, I don't know how to categorize that, but uh, I know there's a lot of things we just don't understand. Yeah. And, you know, it, this is, you're raising a good question here. And if you were to apply that to the shared death experience, is it possible that these people are making this up and, uh, and then believing it? Because like you said, if they kind of dream this in some way, then, then they can reify it by thinking about it and ruminating about it and make it real. Well, we know that's the way memory works as well. So, but here's the thing, these people, these experiences are happening in minds of people who have no idea that the shared death experience even exists. Mm. They reach out to me and they say, Hey, I've heard that, you know, might know something about this experience I've had, or I saw you, I was Googling it on the, and I came across to sharedcrossing.com and you described an experience that I 
had, but I'm not sure. They're, they're like timid and cautious. And then I talked to him about it. And, and there's a pattern that I saw. And I, I didn't just start doing this. I mean, I've been doing this now for about 12 years. And the pattern became very clear. It was very similar to the near-death experience. It, was, it always had a journey motif. And the bond, the, the relationship between the dying and the caregiver loved one was always pretty strong. And so, and then we, there's a number of different types of features that we saw in it, which I could go into, but the basic idea is you're always kind of with that person, either sensing it, witnessing this phenomena, the near death type of phenomena, you can accompany them and go along the journey and, or you can guide them. Some of these people say they're, they're brought into the journey to guide them. Spirit and I think guides. That, What's that? Spirit guides. Well, yeah. You know, this is, I'm glad you're bringing that up because the, another feature, which is the most dominant feature is in 51% of the cases that we've studied, they see the dying. They actually see the dying. And in 16%, they also see an elevated spirit being guiding, like a guardian angel of sorts. And then in 13% of the cases, they see other deceased relatives that kind of serve as the welcoming party. And, and so you can see how this kind of matches up with the near-death experience, but this is not a person having a personal brush with death. This is just a caregiver loved one who is close to this person dying um, relationally, not necessarily physically. Mm, interesting. Yeah, so you've learned a lot, huh? <laughs> well, I, I am fascinated by this, and now I teach about it. And of course, I, I, I wrote you know, the, the first research-based book on this, At Heaven's Door, and it, it features 28 accounts. And I really made the point of gradually taking the reader through my experience of learning about it right. and also stepping up the different types of um, shared death experiences. And there's one feature that I find very affirming. And that is in, a, in about, I think it's about a quarter of the cases, maybe more, because I kind of discovered this as I was going along in the research and wasn't really looking for it until I was well into the research. There is this presence called, that I've called the conductor. And sometimes it's a visible being and sometimes experiencers just say that they felt this guiding force. And, you know, and, and I actually had this. Is, with is my, it a form of a death angel? <laughs> well, you know, it could be, but its role is that it's lovingly facilitating the transition of a spirit soul from a human body into this benevolent afterlife. And it's described differently, but, but it seems to be very intentional. It has sometimes an urgency to it, and it's really managing a lot. Mm -hmm. So uh, you, people will say, well, this, got, you know, this presence was waiting for this, or you know, kind of I could feel the energy shifting. And, and people, you know, this is an ineffable realm, if you will. So people really grapple with the language, but yeah. I, I kind of love the, to liken this to some, some like the hands of God, so to speak, that are there, angels, guardian angels, you know, whatever you want to call them, that, but that are helping us uh, let go of our life and go to heaven. So I have two questions. <laughs> the first question is, uh, you pose the question, why would a caregiver want to have a shared death experience? Yeah. Is this something that a caregiver 
should seek out? And yeah. is it possible to seek out or are they just lucky that they do or are they unlucky if they don't? Yeah, you're, you're touching on the big mystery here is like, how does a shared death experience happen? Like what enables or facilitates an SDE? And in our research, what we have found is that people who have uh, prayer practices, meditation practices, seem to be more open and receptive to them, more available to have them. We also, we also know that there's a few other things that help, and that is really uh, uh, you know, being aware that this is, these experiences can happen. So just the knowledge that this experience can happen, when it starts happening or you start feeling a shift in the energy in the room or a light change or something spiritual energetically and you go and you open to it, you don't resist it, you open to it then that's a step in allowing it to occur. And then we also say by way of preparation in advance, really working with your unfinished business with the, right. both the dying and the uh, caregiver loved one. So that's, that's the spiritual, religious cleansing, healing, sure. reconciliation, all the work that, you know, the amends, all that kind of stuff. And then the other piece is uh, to remember, and, I, and I, so I should say the Shared Crossing Project, and I teach people how to do this. Uh, we have programs and what have you, and you can go to our website if you're interested. But the, one of the things we teach the dying is how to stay conscious and aware during your transition and how to know when to turn back, if you will, if you're progressing away from the planet and the earth realm, how to turn back and say to your loved ones, surviving loved ones, come to me. Here's where I am. Bring them there. And we've had a good deal of success with this. Yeah. Um, I hate to bring this up, but it's, it's a little controversial, but I know yeah. people are, are, are asking because they all come from different realms of faith, et cetera. Sure. But, uh, you know, we know some people out there believe all dogs and people go to heaven yeah. And, and, you know, you and I can both see there is evil in the world. There's dark, there's light, there's good, there's bad. And, you know, a lot of people don't believe that all people are going to heaven. Some people are going to that other place. I'm reminded of the movie uh, Ghost. Remember that? Yeah, I remember. They, they saw the light and they were, they were going up or they, they saw these black demons that were pulling them down. Yeah. I mean, uh, do you get involved in that aspect of, uh, I know it's very controversial and it's yeah, very I, divisive, but uh, I think it's know. a good, I think it's a good question. I mean, I think this notion of heaven and hell is really imbued in our culture. It's what we grow up with as a, you know, certainly a Christian, you know, a dominant Christian culture and the history of Christianity has, has had, you know, in revelation has and had Judaism and Judaism too. Um, yeah. Obviously revelation speaks to this. Um, but I have to tell you, uh, I and my team, we have yet to see a realm that an experiencer expresses as hellish. I will say that they have seen their, their dying loved one confused, overwhelmed, uh, needing assistance, but not anything that wasn't work outable. In other words, just they they get oriented to the light essentially and they start progressing in a positive direction positive being heading towards the light mm. the, some shared death experiences will have what we call a sympathetic sde and that is i'll give you one case from sarah sarah is 
you know, in Santa Barbara and she gets up in the morning, she's feeling sweaty and hot and feverish and throws up and very uncomfortable. And her family says, we're taking you to the hospital. And uh, they said, yeah, let's go. And then, then she starts feeling a little better. So she stays. She gets a call from her sister and says, her sister says to her, I have very sad news for you. Um, your niece died this morning of a drug overdose. Well, on our, meta, on our research team, we have Dr. Monica Williams, an ER physician, and she says the symptoms that Sarah had are identical to a drug overdose. So we have a dozen or so cases where people have a sympathetic SDE where their symptoms match those that would have been the dying symptoms, drug overdoses, a lot of cardiac cases we have. I think we have a number of those where they feel pressure in their chest, tr- trouble breathing. They they fall over. And yeah, so. So and I'm sure it's even stronger in, in twins, uh, two people oh, who shared the womb. Absolutely. Yeah. And unfortunately, Dave, we don't have any twins in our study, but man, I would love to find that. Mm. Well, it's, it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> and of course, we don't have all the answers, do we? We're, these are just theories and, and uh, testimonials and, and yeah. a bunch of testimonials that agree with each other. Um, so you come up with an interesting concept of, of caregiving, caregivers um, who have this connection with their loved one, yeah. especially an elderly one who might be close to death, might be in hospice. Yes. And you're encouraging them that they should uh, s- seek this out, learn more about it. And because it's uh, you've heard so many stories about it that that, you know, uh, that it would probably be a good thing. And let me just digress one moment. Something you said before, um, if I can remember it. <laughs> um, oh, yes. Uh, I- I've heard stories. I, you know, everyone's writing a book about a near death experience. And I remember one or two where it was hellish for this person Mm -hmm. and he was graciously granted to go back and change his evil ways. (laughs) Uh, Have you heard anything like that where they got a second chance? Um, We haven't. No. Okay. But I do, I do know that in the near death experiences, um, yes, people have the opportunity to come back and live differently. Okay. Yeah. And what about the first thing that I mentioned um, about caregivers uh, seeking this out? So, yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I would suggest to your you know, large audience of caregivers, presumably, is to get familiar with this experience. And one way to do that would be you just you know, go to sharecrossing.com, which is my website. You can read about it all free. And then you can also see videos of shared death experiencers sharing their stories and, and their videos from our research, ordinary people, you know, that, that just stumbled upon this experience. And you'll see in the way they describe it, that they didn't have any idea what this was, but it was so healing for them. What makes the shared death experience so powerful and really why I, as a therapist, am so interested in it, is it really helps the grief and bereavement process. It helps people understand that their loved one is alive and well in a, in a benevolent afterlife, that death is not to be feared, and that their grief is, is greatly, um, as we say, enhanced in a certain way. It's imbued with yeah. meaning. So, 
Yeah, and we talk about, you know, good people versus people who are evil. Uh, there aren't too many evil caregivers. I mean, if you're going to be a caregiver, you're a pretty darn good person. You know, you're sacrificial yeah. and you're, you're giving up, uh, you know, your own life to, to make the life better for another. So maybe that's another reason why you don't uh, hear about the other side, so to speak. Well, I would think, you know, certainly for professional caregivers, um, in fact, I have been, at, you know, invited frequently to speak at uh, different senior communities, memory care facilities, because their caregivers want to know about this experience. And they work so closely, especially mm. during COVID. The amount of inquiries I got was huge because they're taking the role of family members while people right. were at the end of life. And, um, and they you couldn't know, come. They couldn't come. Yeah. And so they, I've, you know, I've gotten so many requests to talk and, and review my book. So the, the, I will tell you the, an easy way, if you're interested is, you know, the book is at heaven's door and it's got 28 stories. It talks about why I think these experiences happen and they're very moving. It's a great resource for caregivers because the experience is so positive. Yeah. It's you a know? great book for February since there's 28 days in February. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So yeah. uh, what we're running out of time. What haven't I asked you that you would like to mention before we leave? No, you've, this is, you've been so direct in your questions. I appreciate it. I mean, all I would say, you know, is just that as caregivers know that this is possible because I think a lot of your caregivers, since they're, you know, especially if they've had multiple experiences close to the dying, I'll bet a lot of your caregivers have had something like this. If not also to say is that, we still collect stories. We're still doing the research. And we also uh, collect end-of-life experiences. So that would be post-death visions and visitations and yeah. pre-death visions and visitations. All that we're very interested in because we all see this points to this thinning of the veil and this lovely affirming connection across um, this, this veil between human life and what lies beyond. So have you been responsible in putting uh, certain stories in medical journal journals and how has the mainstream and scientific and medical community reacted to such stories? Great. Yeah. So um, the first, in my organization, the Share Crossing Research Initiative, just published the first article in the American Journal of Hospice and Palliative wow. Medicine. This is a major top, top yeah. tier medical journal. And the reviewers were thrilled. The How one hard review- was it to get in there? Well, not that hard because, I mean, I, mean, I think our, our research is really good. I mean, we've got a multidisciplinary team. Um, Dr. Michael Kinsella is our chief of research. He's a you know, religious studies. And like I said, Dr. Monica Williams, the ER physician, and me as a psychotherapist, we really covered every question they might have. But what they said was so interesting. They, know, they said, one reviewer said, I know these experiences happen. We all know they happen. We hear about them. Oh. But thank you for doing the first robust study. This is a true contribution well, good for to you. the end of life literature. Now, I should say, Dave, we also just were published in uh, Omega, Journal of Death and Dying, as a feature article on, on this and other end of life experiences that we've identified. And, and this is your first rodeo, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we are just getting started, you know, so imagine this, we had the two really huge research articles and top tier journals, and then the public audience book at heaven's door all came in what came out within a month and a half. Yeah. So this is a good time. And, uh, and like where, I said, I'm really, where are you based? Where are you located? Santa Barbara, California. Okay. You're on the West coast like me. Yeah. 
Did yes. we meet in New York? How did we connect through your publicist? Yeah, uh, my publicist. Yeah. Great. So you're getting a lot of publicity these days. I am. I feel just so <laughs> thankful that you and others are interested. Well, it's an interesting, interesting topic, and everyone yeah. seems to be talking about it. Yeah, it is. And and you know, you know, there's so much kind of bad news about death. This is the best news. Yeah about death that I've ever come across. And I work- Unfortunately, a lot of bad stories about suicide, people who are rushing death, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are, those are very undesirable end of life uh, situations. Um, Uh, Permanent problem uh, to a temporary, permanent solution to a temporary problem. There you go. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We need better education on depression and, you know, the things we can do about it, that it is temporary, that, uh, oh boy, that's yeah. another show, isn't it? That's <laughs> another show. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It, it's time sure flies when you haven't fun. And a reminder that all our shows become recorded pod and video cast on all our platforms that I mentioned earlier, like YouTube and blog talk, radio pod bean, and many, many more. Don't forget to check out my membership website, caregiverdave.com. It's a free membership support community. Lots of tools, resources, free gifts, as well as a Facebook page with the same name. And please click on the like button below, whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on. It helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google search engine. So again, thank you to all my listeners out there all over the world. Thank you for tuning in uh, twice each and every Wednesday and making us the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. And one more time, how do we get a hold of you, doctor? Go to sharedcrossing.com. Okay. And until next week, same time, same channel. May God richly bless you. Bye-bye. Our featured speaker is a best-selling author who has written numerous books and articles. He's a speaker, life coach, and host of Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver radio program. He frequently appears on television and radio shows all across the country and has even shared the stage with Suzanne Summers at Harvard. But his most important role is caregiver to his beautiful wife, Charlene, for over 22 years. Please welcome Mr. Dave Nassani! I want to share with you a love story. In a couple of weeks, my wife and I will be celebrating 44 years of being together. My wife, Charlene, and I had a fairy tale, storybook, romance, courtship, and marriage for the first 21 years of our lives together. One day out of nowhere, my wife has a headache, the headache of her life. She suffered a massive stroke and it left her severely speech impaired and paralyzed on the right side. And in that moment, our world turned upside down. I gotta tell you, the next two years was like a living hell. I just just didn't know what to do. do. I I felt felt guilty guilty most of the time. I became a caregiver. I didn't even know what a caregiver was. I was experiencing the same problems that other caregivers experience. If you don't take care of you, I can't take care of her. Well, that's why I wrote the book. Now I can teach other caregivers. I'm living proof that you can thrive as a caregiver. My wife and I travel now all over the world sharing our story. One day, life is going to call upon you to be the captain of your boat. Heck, you might be saving your own life. Thank you. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. 